Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Michael Beckerman. Welcome to my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where I talk to leaders who are helping to decarbonize the built world. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by a good friend of mine and our Cretech platform and our Cretech climate platform, Nicole LeBlanc, partner platform 2150 VC, a leading venture capital firm in Copenhagen and I think London, I'm not sure she's going to correct me, who the, the firm is reimagining the built environment by investing in sustainable technologies. One of the most innovative new venture firms I have seen appear in the built world in a very, very long time. Nicole and I first met when she was at Sidewalk Labs and uh, been following her career and we've kept in touch. And she's somebody that I draw a great deal of inspiration from. And I, I'm constantly learning from everything that she's advocating and uh, as well as her firm. So it's a great pleasure to welcome Nicole to the podcast. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for uh, joining me. Hi, excited to be here. So Nicole, for those that might not be familiar with you, probably only a handful of people, could you just provide a brief overview of what you were doing before 2150? Happy to. So I am from the East Coast of Canada. Uh, my husband and I are from the same town of 1,000 people and uh, started my career in accounting. So I uh, really enjoyed getting that, that base, uh, you know, sort of in the, the financial world and ended up working my way up to a controller in a chocolate factory. So really enjoyed uh, the perks of that role. Well, and was then, it Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? By no, no, there were no Oompa Loompas on staff, but uh, we used to tell some of the little kids uh, that that was true. <laughs> Great. And uh, then get an adventure about 15 years ago. And so had uh, a number of roles with funds in Canada in particular, and uh, ended up uh, managing Canada's largest seed fund. So made a lot of investments across all sectors, across all geographies, from uh, quantum computing to direct to consumer jewelry. And it was just so much fun working with the founders that were just so passionate at that seed stage and you know what they were building. And then right before 2150, led the venture capital and partnership strategy for Sidewalk Labs, uh, based in Toronto, but spent a lot of time in New York. Great. Now, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I always am fascinated to learn from people that are in the climate tech sustainability sector is where their passion comes from in the space. Because, you know, someone like yourself could go into any part of venture, given your background, your experience. So why, why sort of climate tech, why sustainability for you personally? What does this mean to you? And why is it important? So as I mentioned, my husband and I are from a very small town. And so growing up, the ocean and the forests and hiking and just the outdoors and this, this, um, this kind of, you know, exciting lifestyle where you were, you know, so connected to the world around you. Uh, was just, you know, kind of something that we grew up with. And then as, you know, we migrated to an urban environment like so many of us do, uh, you know, really was just looking for that balance because cities are amazing and provide, you know, so many great opportunities. And we really loved, you know, and still do love living in cities, but was really looking to find, you know, ways to kind of provide that balance. And I would say that 
have always loved tech. And then as I started to see the economics behind sustainability and the ability to make, to have an impact, I think that was really important. And um, going back to my accounting roots, you know, putting together that spreadsheet to determine if we should actually own a car anymore. And when we decided to sell the car and haven't had a car in a number of years, like it was really just very liberating and uh, just really wanted to find ways to kind of translate that into, into my day job. I love that. So 2150 forms, it was a 2020, 2021, difficult time nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember when, you know, you'd let me know you were joining and you were moving to Copenhagen. So $240 million or so fund, you'll correct my details, I'm sure at a really difficult time to be raising money, I would think. So congratulations on that. Could you talk a little bit about the fund, its sort of focus, who the LPs are, some of the advisors as well, which I know are quite extraordinary. What was really exciting for me was the, the focus on urban tech and sustainability. So having a little bit more of a broad focus because innovation really happens at the intersection of some of these verticals. And so 2150 you know, started um, with some of the founding partners who had a background in real estate, really trying to think about how to do things differently, how to have you know, more of an impact. So coming from that more traditional real estate environment and then bringing together this really unique group of people and uh, deciding that we were going to go out and you know, start to raise uh, a fund and, and really you know, take kind of a different approach to, to venture capital and really trying to find ways to bridge, I would say, you know, the, the move fast and break things uh, element of tech startups with kind of the more uh, stable and uh, slower moving element of you know, traditional real estate. And so, you know, thinking about layering on that sustainability angle and, you know, that urban tech angle and the prop tech angle and like, where do some of these things fit together was just really exciting. And I feel it's resonating, you know, with a lot of our LPs. We're still fundraising. So we're still, you know, actively, you know, pitching. And it's just really, we're having really great conversations with a lot of, you know, LPs. So we have some traditional LPs, you know, standard financial institutions and, you know, foundations, but we also have a lot of, you know, construction companies and real estate companies that are really looking for an extension of their team, somebody to really help them think through some of these, you know, sustainability elements as they apply to the built environment and as they apply to a lot of their projects. And so it just, the timing is just right. I think that, you know, sadly, you know, COVID has, has really, you know, done a lot of damage and, you know, there's so many sad stories, but, you know, I think that it's also been a time of reflection for a lot of people and really trying to think about, you know, how did they change their business? And uh, it's really enabled a lot of people to, you know, move forward and really think a lot more about sustainability in a faster way than maybe they would have would have normally done so. Right. And could you just unpack a little bit about the uh, the advisors? Because I know that's something that I was particularly struck with, with that, that team that you've been able to assemble at, at the firm. So we've put together this really great brain trust, and I, I'm really excited about the advisory board we've put together. So you can go to our website and see all of their names. Uh, however, you know, what we really wanted is, you know, although our team is diverse, uh, you know, from a diversity of thought and background, we really also wanted to, to have some leaders, some global leaders, you know, around the table who are, are thinking about this, you know, every day. So they're actually investors of the, in the fund, and they're actively involved you know, in really helping us think through some of these areas. So, you know, as an example, uh, Bjark Ingalls, the, the famed architect, we have um, uh, Dr. Lin Liu, who uh, is the director at the, the Princeton uh, Center for Energy and Environment. Uh, we have Danny Lang, who's the uh, head of AI at Unity. And uh, we also have Richard Florida, you know, famed, famed urbanist. 
And then uh, Cohn Van Ostrom uh, from uh, Edge Technologies, which, you know, if you have heard about some of the buildings that they've put together in Europe, they're, they're really amazing. And so we bring this group together collectively and we also tap them individually. And they've been so helpful in, in helping us think through a number of the different elements because, you know, they are really, you know, spend their lives like thinking and planning around like building cities of the future around, you know, enabling tech and policies that, that can really help make our cities more resilient and more sustainable. Yeah, it was really, you know, really interesting for me because as somebody that, you know, tries to keep up on the venture world as best I can, specifically those that are focused on the real estate side, I hadn't seen another venture firm sort of assemble a board like that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought that was really, really unique and interesting and a real point of differentiation as well. So I, I read the manifesto the other day again on the website, which is great, which I encourage everybody to go look at. It's really, really thoughtful. Talk to us about this concept of the urban stack and why cities, I mean, are so important for, you know, for the world of real estate tech and climate tech investing. So the urban stack is something that we put together to really think about all the different elements of the built environment. So, you know, from the way our cities are designed to the way they're constructed to the way they're powered and they're operated. Um, it's really about, you know, how do we think up and down that whole continuum of, you know, life in a city. So, you know, the bottom layer, you think about infrastructure and all the different elements that that really need to be present in order for a city to be successful. And then you build upon that, you know, so you think about construction tech and that that layer around building all of the different buildings and the different elements that, that go into that. Uh, then you think more about prop tech, you think about operating these cities. And so, uh, you know, h- how do you really think about, you know, what technologies and, and processes can be implemented there? And then lastly, you and I walking around a city as a tenant, as a resident, as a visitor, you know, how, how are we actually interacting with a lot of these different elements of the city? So, you know, it's really about, um, you know, trying to think about how we can have impact um, because all of these things are interconnected and there's this interplay among them. And so really not trying to think about things in isolation, but really thinking about how they work together and making investments, you know, where they can actually flow one into the other so that they can have, uh, you know, a multiplier effect. And, you know, I'm obviously based in the New York metro area and in New York, there's local law 97. You're seeing some other cities across the U.S. and across the world enact some legislation to really force real estate owners to, you know, to decarbonize, to get to net zero. When you think about cities and their roles in decarbonizing the world, what are some of the, you know, the best use cases that you've seen, you know, coming from your experience at Sidewalk in Toronto? What are some of the, you know, the, the maybe if you want to talk about specific cities that might be really getting it right and leading the way in decarbonizing the built world? So what's really interesting, uh, particularly uh, at my time with the, the city of Toronto and, you know, um, or w- working uh, with Sidewalk, at Sidewalk, partnering with the city of Toronto, uh, coming from a small town of a thousand people and then having lived in kind of, you know, cities, you know, in between kind of the 1,000 and the 6 million and now <laughs> living in a Nordic city that is, you know, very, very different from, you know, anything I've experienced where, you know, 62% of the people cycle to work every day and the right. infrastructure is there to support it. It's, it's much easier to cycle, you know, to your destination than it is to drive. And so I would think that there's not one particular city that I would point to specifically. I would say that, you know, different cities are taking different approaches and there's different variables that, that need to be taken into account. But what I would say is, is where success comes from is when, you know, cities think about being the enabler and really finding ways to work with the private sector to enable a lot of these really interesting technologies because, you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit is, is really what I get really excited about. And it's really what driving innovation. And how do you just find ways 
How do you implement policies? How do you put regulatory frameworks in place that really enable, um, you know, this creativity of the entrepreneur to flourish, to flourish? And, you know, one of the reasons that I joined 2150, you know, was because of the European focus and mm -hmm. the regulatory environment that the EU is, is really driving, you know, basically enables all of these different technologies to be deployed to the 450 million residents, you know, in the EU and putting these frameworks in place that really can then, you know, ho hopefully, you know, drive down kind of that, that cost curve so that other jurisdictions can then eventually start to deploy some of these solutions as well. So it's, it's really about, you know, finding ways to collaborate because I really don't think we're going to hit any of our sustainability metrics if we do so in isolation. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right. One of the things I've been really fascinated by is sort of this Europe versus the rest of the world in terms of the commitment to sustainability. And again, I'm, I'm always the, the last one to the party and the dance to discover these important issues and jumping into climate tech and the built world recently, unfortunately for me, you know, it's, it becomes very apparent that Europe is way ahead of the rest of the world in terms of embracing sustainability and investing in climate technologies. Why do you think that is? And what lessons can the rest of the world learn from Europe? Well, I think the first one is that regulatory environment and being able to, to put those frameworks in place that enable the you know companies to deploy those solutions for there to be scope and boundaries around some of these things. So it provides certainty so that we can actually start to deploy uh, you know, these, these kind of sustainable technologies and uh, also policies that they also bring with that thinking about you know kind of the um, the green recovery package that they've recently you know put in place around you know being able to retrofit buildings in a more sustainable way uh, the second one would be consumer demand so just the average person here uh, in Europe just is demanding you know smart meters in their homes or certain certifications in their buildings and so they're driving demand of the real estate sector to be able to put these in place so the real estate sector doesn't have to be pushing it on the tenants the tenants are saying I'm going to move into mm. this building or I'm going to buy this house or rent this property because it actually has these certifications. And then uh, lastly, I would also say it's, you know, the institutional money. So if you think about a lot of the pension funds in Europe, you know, led by the Nordics, but there's, a, you know, among many other funds, pension funds that are also doing this, you know, they have the ability to start to demand that their real estate investments, you know, start to track and report on sustainability. And really, that's the first step. So once you start doing that, then you're able, you know, to manage what you can measure you know, going back to, you know, those old accounting principles. And I, I think that it's really a data-driven approach. And when you actually start to be able to track those things, then you're able to start to make better decisions around them. And it doesn't yeah. become, you know, this, this really just, you know, big uncertain element of, of, your, uh, of your policy. Yeah, a lot, lot of lessons to learn there. And encouraging, though, that I think the rest of the world is following Europe's lead. Let's focus on the fund for a couple of minutes. So where, where will you likely be looking to invest? I know you've made couple of investments. I know Carbon Cure mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about, and you could you can certainly talk about Carbon Cure and we've had them on the podcast, but give us a sense for where you'll be looking. What will your focus be on investing at 2150? So we're really excited. So as I said earlier, we're still fundraising. So we had our first close in February and uh, we're about to, to finish up our second close shortly. And uh, we are going to be deploying at least half of the capital in Europe. The, the majority of our investors are European. And, you know, obviously being based in London and Copenhagen, you know, our networks are strongest here. And, uh, you know, just, you know, based on our other networks, I expect that we'll make a lot of investments in, you know, Canada and the US, so in North America as well. And if we invest outside of Europe, you know, what we hope to do is to really 
help those companies scale into Europe and access the European market. So that's really the strategy that that we're uh, that we're pursuing with with sort of non-European based companies. Uh, we're we're looking for Series A, Series B companies. Uh, we'll probably invest in you know twenty companies, give or take, and be able to follow on and really continue to help those companies as as they grow. And I think you know what's really important for us with a lot of our we have a number of strategic investors that we hope to really be able to engage uh, you know with our portfolio. And so we're really looking for companies that have, you know, mitigated a lot of that product risk. So we can actually put our companies like Carbon Cure in front of some of our investors that, that are, you know, real estate developers and construction companies, and they can actually confidently deploy those solutions, you know, with those partners. And so that's really what we're looking for. Um, you know, if you, if you go on our website, we have a blog post that says, that says we're hunting gigacorns. So yeah, I saw that. <laughs> So we're, we're looking, you know, unicorns when they first started were quite rare. Um, so gigacorns are, are similarly as rare. Uh, but what's what we're looking? We're looking to mitigate, we're looking for companies that can mitigate a gigaton of CO2. And it's an ambitious goal, but I think it's one that, that we need to set. It's great. I saw that. I had to, I had to look at that a few times, I must admit, to try to comprehend what that was about, but I got it. it takes me a little while. So what technology specifically in that regard excite you, you know, that you say, well, you know, that particular area of of climate technologies has great potential and promise, like a carbon cure. Certainly within uh, concrete and steel. So our first investment is in carbon cure. And for those who aren't familiar, uh, they actually help sequester or they do sequester CO2 you know, in the concrete manufacturing process and reduce the uh, amount of cement needed. So, you know, cement and concrete, cement, uh, concrete, steel, uh, they, they really have a huge impact on global GHG emissions. I believe it's somewhere around 14 or 15 percent, you know, collectively. And, you know, really trying to find ways to, you know, uh, be able to find technologies that can help reduce the footprint of those, those, um, of those inputs. Because, you know, in the near term, like we just don't have any substitutes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there are some elements around, you know, cross laminated timber and being able mm-hmm. to build with wood. But, you know, we also just don't have the forest to support that. So really trying to think through how to find technologies that can, you know, uh, reduce those elements uh, of, you know, concrete, cement, steel. Um, Also looking at buildings in particular. So uh, energy management in buildings, heating and cooling in buildings. You know, Mm -hmm. we're in buildings, you know, 80%, 90% of our day. And there's a huge amount of waste uh, associated with uh, buildings from the operational perspective. So really looking for ways to to address uh, th- those elements. And I think that, um, you know, there, there are some elements that, you know, when you asked earlier about different cities, so weather in particular, you know, might have an effect on some of those things. So really just trying to find these, you know, more, um, you know, comprehensive solutions that can really address that. And, you know, the concern that I have is really around adoption of these technologies. So no doubt that you and your colleagues will find great leaders, great technology, great companies to invest in. But, you know, it took us so many years on the real estate tech side, on the prop tech side to get adoption. And really, were it not for a horrific event like COVID, I don't know we would have seen the scale of adoption at the pace we did, you know, through 2020, 2021. So what gives you hope or what kind of strategies do you think we need to be able to get adoption in the real estate sector with some of these tools and technologies? Because if there's not adoption, obviously we're not going to hit those targets, those net zero targets. Completely agree. I think it's a matter of um, A, just starting to take action. You don't, there, there's not sort of, you know, one you know magic solution that will solve all of the problems. It's going to be a combination of you know building upon 
different types of technologies in different ways and different applications. So I think it's a matter of a just getting started. And, you know, even if it's a small step, you know, two small steps, and then three small steps, they add up over time. So I think that's important. And the other one is collaboration, whether that's collaborating, you know, with, you know, other people in the market that are similar. So we've seen uh, a number of uh, funds that, you know, some have a head of sustainability or head of impact and others don't. And those funds are more than happy to help these other firms try to go and source right. and, and hire those groups. And those people, once they're in those positions, tend to collaborate and really try to think about, you know, how can we implement some of these technologies? Because if we all do it, then it will, you know, ha- help it happen faster. Maybe it will bring the cost down. So really, you know, thinking about ways to collaborate. And if it's not collaborating with, you know, kind of your peers or your competitors, um, it might be collaborating, you know, just with, you know, other people within the, the other stakeholders or other people within the ecosystem and really trying to think through, you know, how to pilot some of these technologies and really just test the waters. So I think it's, um, it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, just taking, you know, it one day at a time and moving forward. You could, you could also invest in a venture fund uh, yes, that, would really, that would really help uh, get you access to some really exciting <laughs> I can think of one. You can't say that, but I can. <laughs> Absolutely. Nicole, just a couple other thoughts or questions for you around the same kind of topic about adoption and what have you. Given your experience at Sidewalk Labs in the sense that you were building a city within a city and your knowledge of the built world and the real estate development industry and your advisory board, which so many of them come from the real estate industry, what message would you, you know, if, if there's a developer listening who's somewhat skeptical about, you know, adopting some of these technologies with the sense of urgency that you and I both agree we need, what kind of message would you say to that, you know, real estate company as to why both from a moral, for maybe not from a moral because I don't want to preach, but maybe from a financial perspective and a business perspective, why this is so important? So I think, you know, there is a misconception that if it's green, it must cost more. And that's actually not true any longer. And so certainly some technologies do. And, you know, the cost curve does have to come down. But I think just run the numbers and just look at it, you know, as you would any other, you know, potential, you know, innovation that you would implement and run the numbers. And you might actually be surprised that it doesn't actually require uh, that much additional capital, if any. And also think about playing the long game as well. And, you know, really, I think at this point in time, what's really interesting for me, particularly in the venture world, is it used to start out with, you know, you were an impact fund or you were, you know, a straightforward look fund looking for financial returns. And those things have really, you know, started to marry uh, and come together where you don't actually have to sacrifice financial returns in order to have impact. And I think that's true in the technologies. So, you know, it might have been true the last time a developer looked at a certain technology that it might have cost more. It might have, you know, required a lot of extra work in order to implement something like that. But those things are really starting to change. And certainly not for every technology, but I would certainly say, uh, you know, you might be pleasantly surprised to see that some of these technologies could actually save you money. Uh, mm. So d- d- take a data-driven approach to it, because um, I-, I definitely think that the sustainability industry is kind of catching up to some of those, uh, you know, financial metrics. Yeah, I love that. Take a data-driven approach. And, there, and that information is out there. MIT's mm-hmm. done studies, Harvard's mm-hmm. done studies, I'm sure. There's so many other studies, I'm sure ULI has it as well, where, you know, green buildings just perform better in the marketplace. You know, they, mm-hmm. they command higher rents, they command a better price in, in terms of dispositions and et cetera, et cetera. 
finally, you've been so gracious with me and I you know, try not to take advantage of our friendship and I do send you some interesting startups that come across my desk. I have no skin in the game. It's just like, hey, Nicole, what do you think about this and what have you? And you're always very kind and thoughtful in your, in your responses. What, you know, we have a very big audience at Creed Tech and Creed Tech Climate, obviously, at startups. So me and my co-founder, we're in our garage. I guess that's an old analogy. And you know, we've got a great idea. We think we're going to save the world. What is it that you're looking for in terms of a startup, in terms of a technology? When they're, when they're coming to pitch you, number one, how? And what's important to you, given that you've been around the venture world for so long? What are some of the things that you look for that are most important in that, that presentation, that pitch? So when I am talking to companies, um, I always like to know the origin story. You know, why are you doing this? Because I think startups are hard and, you know, one out of 10 will be that unicorn and eventually that gigacorn. (laughs) And so you really need to find something that's driving you. And if you're just in it because you want that financial return, like it's really not going to be sustainable. And so I always like to know the origin story and how Mm -hmm. the team came together and, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, So that's number one. Number two is, you know, what problem are they solving? I think that, you know, so many people fall in love with the solution and not the problem. So really trying to understand, you know, what is that problem? And, you know, how deep have they really gone to assess that problem? I think uh, that's, that's a really important element uh, to to any pitches, like to really clarify, you know, what is the true problem that you're solving? Um, I would say those are the two things that I look for because I'm more of a relationship driven investor yes, and, and really, yes, I, re- I really, really like to know, you know, why people are doing it and, you know, how they, you know, what does success look like, you know, in five years and 10 years, mm-hmm. what will, what will success be to that founder? And, you know, how will they feel that the last 10 years of their career actually mattered? I think that's really important because, uh, as you, you know, grow and scale, like, I think, you know, you and I have seen it, you know, in business, in personal yeah. lives. The, the best technology isn't, isn't the one that wins. It's not right. the one that wins. It's the one that has that kind of that more holistic uh, element to it. You know, sometimes the best tech wins, but, you know, most of the time there's so many other elements at play. And so I just really want to be able to understand, you know, how people are evaluating that. Yeah. I love that, Nicole. You know, I wish that there were more uh, folks in the venture world that reflected some of your core philosophies and uh, about, you know, relationships and, uh, you know, it's about the people and their passion as well as their plan. So I think that's great. So Nicole, the blank partner platform 2150 VC. Thank you so much for your time, for all of your support of Cretech and Cretech Climate. For those that are listening, I encourage you to connect with uh, Nicole on LinkedIn to check out 2150 VC. They are, as I said, just about the most unique, thoughtful, innovative venture firm that I have seen in a very, very long time on my journey in the world of real estate tech. And uh, Nicole, I appreciate all of your support and all that you're doing to help decarbonize the uh, built world. And we'll, we'll see you down the road. Thanks so much. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.